Let's pray. Lord, we ask that during this time that you will help us to focus on you. Enable me, Lord, to communicate your words and your words alone um, and thoughts that might help each of us in our walk with you. In Jesus' name, amen. So in the midst of the storm, um, we all encounter storms in our lives. Um, Some of us maybe feel like more than others, but probably not. Um, It might be a tough thing to say that it's kind of relative. What might be a storm to somebody else, you're thinking, that's that's just a little squall. That's not a big storm. And yet, um, it's probably because we are focusing more on our own selves and the hurt and the pain and the suffering we go through at times. And because of the experiences in my life and in the privileges of watching and witnessing other people going through difficult times in their lives and because of the Word of God and all that I've read and and come to know about who God is, I really, really like this passage in Romans. Can I say it's my favorite passage? I, I don't know if anyone could ever dare say such things about the Bible because it's just full of so many great and good things. And perhaps next week, a different passage is going to be more important to me than today. And that's the beauty of God. And that's the beauty of the relationship with God that we each have. And as I talk about things are kind of relative in scripture passages and things, we could, we could stand in here today or sit, seated here and we might say, okay, let's all open up our Bibles and read a particular passage and we would read it. And as we go through it, then we start to ask people, so what do you think of that means or what does that mean to you? And we might get 10, 9, 12, 13, a dozen different thoughts as to what was important to that individual. And that's not that the scripture that people are thinking differently or wrongly, perhaps, but most likely because of what's happening in their lives in those moments. And God is speaking to their hearts as they dig in and read his word. And so as we think of the storms of life, um, I want us to help, help us each to understand that the storm that you are in, if it feels like a storm, then it's a storm. And don't let anybody else tell you it's not a storm. But know this, that God loves you. And he will never leave you. And he'll never forsake you. But it's beyond that. He loves you in the midst of the storm. Nothing can separate you from his love. It's a great thought that God will never leave me and forsake me as I go through different things in my life. It's a great thought that knowing you stand beside me, but it's more than that. He loves me. He's caring for me. He's providing for me. And that combination is an incredible thought for me. And so that is why I really, really enjoy this passage. When I think of people going through storms, I think of a couple things. One is the storm might be there because God's testing us. God tests our faith. And he tests for our good. He wants to see us grow and to trust and to lean on him. And so tests occur in our lives. And sometimes we don't like those tests. And we, we struggle with, is this is God, what are you doing? And so we wrestle through those times in our lives that God brings a test. And we feel really under trial sometimes and, and, and struggle through those times. But God is faithful. 
And through those times, he's reaching out to you and he is polishing you and he's making you into his child. Uh, James 1, 2 through 4 talks about um, that. Consider it all joy, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its this result, that you might be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And so as you go through these tests that come into your lives, God is all about this to make you perfect and complete. And you might think, I really don't want to go through this, God. But you don't have a choice. God knows you. He knows your capabilities. He knows where you stand in your walk with him. And he's not going to take you beyond what you can handle. He, he knows your heart, your strengths, your weaknesses. But he also knows you need to grow. And how boring would life be if there was absolutely no trials and tribulations in it? We could sit there and say, well, that'd be great. And we could like that. But those who don't know God won't know how much we really love God. Because how easy would it be to sing God's praises when everything was always hunky-dory? And it's great, and it's good that we praise God when things are going well. But when we praise God when things aren't going well, boy, that speaks volumes too. And so likewise, as we start to struggle through things and we feel God's presence, and as he draws us through these tests in our lives, we start to realize how deep his love is, how deep the Father's love really is for us. And we're encouraged and we, we grow up a little bit more. And we fall deeper in love with God. So tests happen in our lives. Temptations come along. And that's Satan. Now the tests are orchestrated by God to help us grow. Temptations are orchestrated by Satan. Let no one say when he is tempted, he is tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted, nor does he tempt anyone. So God isn't tempting you. It's Satan. And he's got one thing on his mind. Destruction, lying, deceit. And he's trying to tear you down when you go through these temptations that are fired at you. But the beauty of this is, no temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful. He doesn't let you get tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation, he provides the way of escape also, that you can endure it. And you can have victory in those temptations. And what Satan means for harm and destruction, God steps right in there and he says, Kevin, come over here. We can get through this. You just need to lean on me and trust me. And we can just stab Satan one more time and knock him down. And I'm going to grow up a little bit more and I'm going to feel really good about having victory over something that somebody else was trying to hurt me. And so there's Satan. And so if I just lean and trust in him in those moments, in that trial, in the middle of that storm, even though it's meant for bad, God can make good out of it. And I can grow a little bit more in understanding how great his love is. And then sometimes, I don't know if this one's, I don't know, I just think it's like foolishness. Sometimes I just do stupid things. And I don't know if it's sin or a test. I, it's hard to discern things, but I just know sometimes I do things that aren't quite sharp. And God never leaves me, never forsakes me. He loves me. Nothing separates me. Kevin's foolishness doesn't separate me from his love. And so even in the foolish things, when I make a foolish mistake and get crazy and, and do something, and maybe it was meant for good, but it just didn't work out that way, God's loving me. And he's put his arm around me. He said, Kevin, I know you really thought that Cindy would really, really like that as a wedding gift. But, oh boy, you goofed up here. But you know what? I love you. And she does too. But, you know, and so how great is God? We can't, we cannot separate. We can't, anything we can try to do, God loves us. I love the passage. It's a great thing. So 
as we think about that, I read, I read a book a long time ago, and I reread it recently by Robert Morgan, The Red Sea Rules. It's a great little book, and it basically talks about 10 God-given strategies for difficult times. And so I'm going to refer to that a little bit as we walk through this concept of being in the midst of the storm. And so every now and then, some of these thoughts I'll be sharing, I hope to point them out, are really coming from Robert Morgan. Some of his thoughts as he has studied scripture, specifically dealing with the exodus as the Israelites left Egypt. And I get tongue twisted. Sometimes I get Egyptians leaving Israel or whatever. So bear with me in that process. But here's, here's the thought. Here's the thought. Why, why do we suffer and falter in the middle of storms in our lives? Why do we falter? I think it's because we lose focus on God. And in this example, that um, in, the, in, the, in the Exodus, it's pretty clear to me. If we could just take a minute and think about the Israelites. In Exodus 14, is we see them being ushered out. But the previous chapters in Exodus are the plagues. And Moses is sent to go help the Israelites to realize God wants them to become free. And essentially, he goes before Pharaoh after talking with the Israelites and and saying, here's what Aaron and I are going to be all about. And God wants to do these things and just bear with us. And they're like, wow, this is great. After hundreds of years of slavery, God's heard our cry and we're going to be free and be able to get out and, and celebrate and worship him. Because in the initial phases, in chapter 4, I believe it is, you see that all that Moses goes to ask for is a three days journey into the wilderness. That the whole Israelite gang would go and take all their livestock so they could sacrifice and celebrate God. And I don't know how long the celebration is, but let's give them a four or five day celebration and then they'll come back home. So they're asking for like a 10 day reprieve, a little vacation with a purpose. And Pharaoh and the Egyptians are thinking, "Mm, not a good idea because that's their economy. If the Israelites go, everything shuts down. And besides worship, who are you talking about? And so, unfortunately, Pharaoh says, nope, not going to happen. Not on my watch. And so now begins this process with the Israelites and God and and Moses and the Egyptians. And we have all these plagues. And after each plague, things get worse and worse for the Israelites as Pharaoh tightens down the screw. And he goes, yeah, well, my magicians can do this, that, and the other. And you know the story. It just goes back and forth until eventually is the plague, the death of the firstborn. And the magicians and the sorcerers and stuff were along, near the end of the plagues, are getting kind of tired of the Israelites. And they're trying to say to Pharaoh, you know, maybe you ought to listen to these guys a little bit. And they can't persuade Pharaoh because he continues, his heart is hardened all the more as God's wrath and God's power is displayed. And he just digs in. He's stubborn. None of us are stubborn. We would have woke right up, right? Yeah? Not me. I would have been digging around, I'm sure. But Pharaoh is just stubborn about it. And to the point that it comes the death of the firstborn. And not just the, the people, but there are animals and livestock as well. And those who took the lamb's blood or put it up over, the, over their houses and stuff were spared. And what a phenomenal miracle. And what happens after that? It's not just that they go for their 10-day vacation. They're gone. The Egyptians want nothing to do with the Israelites. And they say, out of here, go, leave. Matter of fact, Take the gold and the silver. They get the plunder. The Egyptians, the Israelites walk off with a ton of stuff. 
They've been enslaved since they can remember. And all of a sudden, they're free. And not only are they free, they got all kinds of goodies. And they, they're gone. And can you imagine the scene as they leave? What chaos. I don't know, millions of them leaving. And the, the dancing and the celebration. And some are just in disbelief as they try to load up and go. And they're marching out. And it just must have been a cool sight as this all transpires. And then you got all the defeated Egyptians just kind of their heads down like, Oh, man, I'm so glad that these guys are out of town. We can get life back to normal and start up again. Well, that didn't last long. And here we are. This is this focal point. As they for, are gone, the Israelites are gone, and God has been leading them by day with a cloud and, and uh, the fire at night and, and been protecting them and leading them along. They're enthusiastic and kind of going really well. And then God says to Moses, Hey, back up. Let's go back down in here and park for the night. And we'll camp out and we'll set up camp. And I, I like tent camping a little bit. Don't yell too much. It's a little bit of tent camping. And when I set up a tent camp, I kind of want to get cozy and, and get things around me and feel like the animals can't get me and I can look out and see them coming if they're going to come after me. So I kind of get it when they're down on the Red Sea behind them and these mountains on either side of them. I kind of get a feeling like that's must have been a cool place to camp out. Now, during the same time frame that they're celebrating and marching and, and having a great time, the Egyptians are back home thinking, what do we do? We just gave away our livelihood. And they start through, they can't, they don't even know how to put brick and mud and straw and they couldn't do anything. And so they started to complain. And Pharaoh was missing and, and hurting and they're all just angry and mad and they lose focus on what just transpired. We often think about the Israelites losing focus here in a minute, but so did the Egyptians. They just witnessed the most incredible, intense time of power. And they forgot it all because they didn't have their, their needs being met anymore. And they just forget about God and all that he had done. And they say, we need those Israelites back. Let's go get them. And they persuade Pharaoh. And Pharaoh sends off an army to go after them and their chariots and these mighty soldiers. The Israelites are having a good celebration. Life is good. And all of a sudden, they see this army coming. And they cry out. I think it's verse 10 in 14. They cry out to God. And then almost immediately after they cry out, they get after Moses. What did you do this for? And their focus is no longer on God. Well, they cried out to him. But even the devil cries out to God. (laughs) We read that in the New Testament. They cried out to God, but they were focused on that army coming down at them. And they're trapped. And why would you camp here? It would have been better for us to stay in Egypt and die as slaves than be killed out here and slaughtered. What are you doing? And the Egyptians have forgot the God who just did all these great things. And the Israelites have forgotten God. And they're all looking at each other. The Egyptians see the Israelites. Let's get them. The Israelites see the Egyptians. Ah, help. We're out of here. We're going to die. And Moses, God steps in and, and does the miracle at the Red Sea. The Israelites pass through. And, and God uh, protects and eventually destroys this army. I think focus in our lives is an issue that we need to understand. We, we struggle with focus. And, and some of us are ADD and all these other things, and we struggle with focusing on anything. But God needs us to focus on him. And when we're in the midst of the storm, we really need to see God. And we can't lose vision 
in awareness that he's there. He's not left us. He's not forsaken us. He might have put us there. He put the Israelites right where he wanted them on the Red Sea. He put them there. He wanted them there to test their faith. They didn't do so well. But he, he loved them. And he got them through that mess. And he continues on as they headed on and trying to get over. For 40 years, they wandered around in the wilderness on the other side of the Red Sea. God doesn't stop reaching out. But we need to understand it's important for us to focus. And the other piece I would say that happens to us at times is we get more concerned about our relief than God's glory. That's what... um, Robert Morgan, but also um, Taylor, uh, Hudson Taylor said this, if God is glorified, if God is glorified, then I am content. Wow. If God is glorified, then I am content. And I think sometimes we wrestle with that. We're more concerned about our relief. Please get me out of this, God. I can't handle this anymore. And if God's there, he knows And I can if I lean and trust in him. We think of Paul in chapter 4 of Philippians. He talks about being content in all these circumstances that he's faced. And he just says, you know, he lists a couple of them, uh, whether he's hungry or well-fed or or whatever. And he kind of lists these things, um, naked or clothed. And he talks about true contentment, his ability. And he says, I can do all things through Christ. But I want to read a little excerpt here. I mean, you've heard it before, I'm sure. But this one is just... uh, Here's a man that says, learn to be content in all circumstances. Verse 25, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Are they servants of Christ? I am out of my mind to talk like this, Paul says. I am more. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in dangers from my own countrymen, in danger from the Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false brothers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else that he just lists, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. So he throws in a little emotional stress in this too. And yet he says that he's learned to be content in all circumstances. And I think he knows to be content and how to be content because he has witnessed and seen in all those circumstances that most of us would have just said, I give up. He watched God do incredible things. And the pain and the suffering and the relief that came, it came in God's time. And God received glory and honor through those efforts and those moments and those time. And Paul witnessed the power of God and his faith was strengthened. And he got to the point of saying, you know, it really doesn't matter anymore. And even in Timothy, as he cried out and seeking and saying, God will be with me, as he has his plans, and it's only a few days later, he's executed. And we think, well, wait a minute, what happened? What happened in those moments? Where'd God go? God never left him. God never forsook him. God, even in death, was not separated. His love for, for Paul was strong as ever. And, and for each of us, and even when we lose people, 
loved ones, or we, we have a, a physical attack in our lives that in, keeps us from being able to do things we used to be able to do, that doesn't change the truth that God loves you. And he will bring glory and honor through you and to you. And he will honor you. Those who honor me, I will honor. As we remain faithful to God in those times, God will be honored. And he will raise us up. And he will bless us. And if we look at Hebrews chapter 11, you see that list of all these people who went through so much. And their faith was just an incredible story. But I don't know how many of us memorize or think about, and I haven't memorized them, and in lieu of time, I won't go through the whole passage there, but the last few verses of chapter 11, you know, they've been talking about all these guys and how, they, how great these men and women were and how they, uh, their faith was so amazing. But near the end of that, it lists those who died as a result of their faith and the persecution that they went through. And the writer says, we weren't even worthy to be in the same place with these people. These guys, right through the death, stuck it out. And... God is needing us to, to stay faithful to him that they might receive and we can just raise up this whole process and say God is love in spite of the hardships and the things that we walk in difficult times that we face. So how do I overcome and survive the storm? Be assured of this, God doesn't waste suffering. Morgan says, God doesn't waste suffering. If you're in the storm, God won't waste it. He'll use it to his glory, to his honor, and he'll lose it in your, use it in your life and in the lives of those who watch you in the time of the storm. God is for you. Who can be against you? We heard the scripture passage, Romans 8, 31. We know that all things will work together for the good of those who love Christ Jesus. And even in those times, God's going to work good in our lives and through us. John chapter 9, there's a blind man who has been blind since birth. And there's a fascinating story and all that goes on through that. And we kind of get caught up, I do at least, in the aftermath, after he's healed in this dialogue that goes on and everything. And it's a great, it's a great dialogue and, and great things and happening in that passage. But in the very beginning, before Jesus heals him. They're testing Jesus. They want to know, so, so why is this guy blind anyway? You know, was it his mom or his dad's sin? What, what caused him to be blind and everything? And the, and the answer is pretty, pretty clear. He said, so that you might see the glory of God. And I ask you this thought. You know, when that man received his sight, some of us pessimistically might say, well, yeah, he just missed out on half his life not being able to see. But I suspect when he started to be able to see he was pretty excited. And he just lived it up and celebrated God. And even though there's a lot of pressure put on him, he didn't lose sight of who gave him sight. And he worshiped and honored God in those moments. And he didn't say, well, it's about time. But he praised God. And sometimes we feel like it's about time and we get frustrated with it. We just need to be patient and let God heal in his time and in his ways. God is for you. And then finally, don't compare. There are no cookie cutters in heaven. And I, I'm going to read this one from um, Robert Morgan. God treats every situation as singular and special. And he designs a unique, tailor-made deliverance to every trial 
and tribulation. So don't sit there and think, well, it worked that way that time. God is sovereign. Trust and believe. He's got a plan, and he will orchestrate something wonderful through that time. And it may not look like what you want it to look like or what it looked like last week or the week before or the year before, but just know that God is there. And don't get caught up in compare. Stay focused on God and allow him to move in his mysterious ways. The Israelites wanted the world's peace as they complained to Moses on the seaside. Been better for us to stay back home and die as slaves. How foolish is that? They had freedom, true freedom at their fingertips, and yet they were wanting the world's peace and not the peace that God and the joy that God so wanted to give them. And he did. In spite of their comments and their misunderstandings, God continued to be their God, and he will continue to be our God. And peace I leave with you, my perfect peace I give to you, not as the world gives to you, So don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't be afraid. These things, Jesus said, I've spoken to you that in me you will have peace. In the world, all kinds of trials and tribulations. But take courage of overcome the world. Remain focused and know the peace of God. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. All your ways acknowledge him. And he will make your path straight. 